Everyone, welcome to an interview special here in the Time Shifters podcast. By now, you hopefully have listened to our episode on the history of time travel from 2014. And I am very excited to have the writer and director with us now to talk a little bit more about this film because Tom and I loved it and we wanted to know more about the film and more about the person behind it. Please welcome Ricky Kennedy to the show. Mr. Kennedy, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. This was a really great, just sort of, I stumbled on it kind of film, and I'm so happy I did. And it was one of those things we, we mentioned when Tom and I talked about it on our actual episode, that we felt a little ashamed that it took us eight years <laughs> to, to find this film and watch just it. Just a little bit. <laughs> that, honestly, is a time travel film, so whenever you find it, it's the perfect time. Oh, good point. That's kind of what we said. <laughs> One of the things I always like to ask, Tom probably knows, knows this and sees it Go coming. It. And this is, uh, people, I know this is like the most generic thing, but I, I love finding out how filmmakers decided that this is what they're going to do, is making films. What what was the thing, I mean, what brought you into filmmaking? Uh, well, I've always was interested in movies. Uh, when I was a kid, I was very much in the Disney films, as I'm sure a lot of kids are. And from that, I was like, when I was a kid, I wanted to be an animator. And I could draw fairly well, you know, Mickey Mouse and Goofy and that sort of thing. Uh, but then I wanted to be like an Imagineer and like build roller coasters and rides and stuff. So that's cool, just to take it another step further. And then I really got into like Star Wars and like the, them making the models and special effects and stuff. And I kind of figured out that filmmaking kind of encompasses all these interests and everything that I'm interested in. And I never did think that I would have a actual way to become a filmmaker. Um, and I started doing uh, fan art posters, graphic designs and Photoshop and stuff like that. And I got pretty good at it. And people was like, you should do this professionally. And so when I started college, uh, I went intending to study graphic design. And when I got to my local university, which is uh, Stephen F. Austin State University in Nacogdoches, Texas, uh, I had signed up for art classes and was going to do digital media and graphic design. And uh, I think I had just casually mentioned that I liked filmmaking, that that was something I was interested in. And they were like, well, we have a film class. We have a sort of a film program here. And so I basically changed my major to that and got into this film program, wow. which was just in my own backyard, only an hour away. And I had never heard of it. And I thought, well, this is, this is perfect. Uh, and so that's how I kind of just stumbled into it by, by accident. Um, and so it was always something I had wanted to do, but just didn't think I'd actually would able to get to do it. Now, so you're, you're taking a film course in university and everything. Now, as I understand it from what I read, the history of time travel was film school project. Yes, it was. Um, at, at SFA, uh, I, I got my undergrad in filmmaking and I came back for graduate school. Uh, and there's a filmmaking program to get your MFA, Master of Fine Arts in Filmmaking. And part of the requirements of that is that your thesis project has to be a feature-length film. Mm. Uh, you do three short films that can be you know, anywhere from five to 30 minutes long. Uh, the idea being that you do your three short films, and then eventually you build yourself up to do a full-length feature film. Now, separately from that, the film program also annually does a summer feature where every summer there is a class that goes from June into July. And all of the students, both undergrad and graduates, will work on that program or on that class for credits. And the, the school really, the classes are really focused on teaching um, uh, under the line roles in film. So, you know, your, your gaffing, your grips, your boom operator, sound mixing, camera operating director photography, all those things. And it's basically used as a training course to teach uh, the film students how to properly and professionally act on a film set so that once they go out into the real world, they have already been on a film set and already know the lingo, they already know the roles, and it really helps them go out there and get jobs. And so that was something that was already happening. I had done several times as a sound mixer, as a boom operator. Separately, the grad program, you have to get your thesis, you have to make a feature film. Well, the 
because of the way students will come in and out of the, the classes, you know, the, the good students who work for three or four years and they've gotten really good, they graduate and they're gone. There was always a cycle of people coming in and out of the program. And so some years there was not someone who was going to direct a summer feature from the undergrads. And so my professor was like, well, we've got grad students who need to make a feature film for their thesis work. We have the undergraduates who have a class where they need to work on a feature film. And so he just combined those two that particular couple of years. And so I benefited from that where I got to have a full crew of undergrad students to work on my film, and then I could work on my thesis. Uh, and that happened several times uh, during the course. And it's changed several times just because of, uh, you know, COVID. And, and then also sometimes we would bring someone from the outside to direct a film. It just really depends on where a particular grad student is at that point, if they're ready to do their thesis work. And I just happened to be, well, I was ready to do my film. I had the script ready to go. And so we just combined the two. And that was very beneficial for me because otherwise I would have just had to shoot my feature film on the weekends, nickel and dining it, you know, for who knows how long. So this was very helpful because I was able to knock it out in about three and a half weeks wow. in terms of principal photography, knock it out in, in that time period. That's and then there was a, yeah. That's a way to go uh, to get a free, basically a free film crew. It, nice. it, essentially, yes. Yes, it was. Uh, and then also the students, they had a film to work on. So it, it, it helped out both parties because I had done the first graduate feature film and we had to do it uh, on our own. And the director, she was doing it just on the weekends and around classes. And it took us six months to get through principal photography simply because we were having to work around everyone's schedule during the spring semester. And it, it was too much. And I think my professor basically saw that, yeah, this is, this, is too, this is too difficult for the students. Let's see if we can help them out a little bit. So you got the film crew. I mean, you're, you're directing. You've got the film crew that, like you said, is just a, a, a pool of, of students. How does, when you're doing something like this for a college project, how do you go about as far as getting your cast? Okay. Well, the casting projects. Uh, process was uh, I would just do open casting calls on campus, uh, try to draw from the theater students first, you know, who's available. Uh, but one of the big problems is that there is always summer rep. And so most of the theater students are involved in the summer rep programs there at the university. So um, I was just trying to get who was, who didn't get cast in those projects. Also um, there is a local uh, civic theater group, the theater troupe there in Nacogdoches called the Lamplight Theater. And they do local productions of plays and stuff. And they were a great resource because they had a lot of older actors that I could draw from. That's always one of the big giveaways of a college film is that everyone is under the age of 25. <laughs> <laughs> so having some elder actors helps, gives it a little bit more, um, I guess uh, a little bit more, uh, I guess, production value. It gives it a little bit more professionalism, gives it a little bit more. I'm trying to think of the word. Um, uh, I guess it gives it just a little bit more of that. It's not such a young, skewing film. It just makes it a little bit more believable because there's older people in there as well. Mm -hmm. And they were a great resource, and I drew a lot of people from uh, the lamplight players and have done so on numerous occasions as has other film students. And you're probably bringing in a lot of their experience too, that you can then in turn learn from. Yes, because since they're having to do stage plays, they need to be on book. And so they came in and they knew the, the script backwards and forward. They knew their lines. And because there's an unusual film where we're filming interviews with a lot of the cast, um, I wasn't exactly sure how that was going to go. And so I would go ahead and schedule a whole day to just do a sit down interview with one of the characters. And they were so prepared that we actually knocked out their interviews in just a couple of hours. <laughs> and there was, there was one day where we actually were finished before lunch and it was like, well, what do we do? Like, well, <laughs> go home, everybody. So, which, that's a, that's a wrap. Was, yeah, exactly. Which was great because then I could focus on the next day. 
of getting everything set up because not only was I writing and directing it, I was basically producing it and having to do so many other things because even though it was a college film, we've got the students, we've got a lot of the equipment, uh, it's still a shoestring production. So, you know, we just whatever money we could get our hands on and whatever props we could get our hands on is, you know, what we had is what we used. It's one of my favorite, I guess you could call it a, a genre of film is really like the no budget film. I because if they if you can actually manage to get one made and get something out to p- people whether it's actually distributed on streaming service or whether you can actually get a DVD printed that you can sell to somebody that just takes so much effort and so much um I think it's the support that you you get from whether it's your school or your friends or your family that actually allows you to do this on like I said a no budget it just mm-hmm. it just makes me love it so much more. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was kind of the whole mindset of the film is uh, is high concept, low budget. Is that uh, how can I do something that's interesting on a shoestring production budget, but that's something that could be genre related and it's not just say you know a little indie drama, which is you know because honestly, who cares what you know a twenty one year old has to say about life? They're just a kid, <laughs> so. Uh, so I didn't want to do that. I wanted to do, you know, give me a Robert Zemeckis, give me a Steven Spielberg type of concept, but how do I do that for no money? And then finally, and also I'm trying to write a, around some of the difficulties in doing student films, which is actors are not available because they're in class. Actors bail because they want to go do this, or we lost this location. We have no money for this or that. So I specifically wrote the film around all of these problems that we've always had when we're making our student films basically wrote around all those problems so I could just completely avoid it. If I do a sit down interview, I only need that actor for one day or half a day. And then they're in the entire film and they only need it three or four hours to film their stuff and they're done. The rest of the stuff is just photographs and then old film clips. So it was deliberately done uh, working around the problems we had encountered making student films, um, so that was sort of the the breakthrough. It's like I want to I want to do something, and it, then it finally it finally hit me. If I do it in a documentary format, a lot of the stuff can happen off screen, and then it's left to the audience to imagine it. Mm-hmm. And so I was just thinking, and I like documentaries anyway, Ken Burns style documentaries and Discovery Channel Discovery stuff type of of Smithsonian channel types of content. I thought that would be kind of interesting because no one up to that point had done a film like that in the film program. So I thought, well, I could be somewhat interesting, somewhat different. We'll be able to manage it was also a big part of it. Give me something that's not going to stress me out because if I'm doing a narrative film, I'm going to have to rely on cast members to commit for three to four weeks during this uh, summer course where we're making this film. Doing it this way, they only had to commit for a day, maybe two at the most. I think it's really clever because because of the nature of the film and how and what goes on in the film. Should you have lost a filming location or indeed an actor, you can write around that pretty easily. <laughs> yes. Um, and also, you know, we, we filmed a lot on campus. So that's why a lot of the, the people we're talking to are professors and people that work at a museum, because those were all things that were available within walking distance from the film building. So, again, just, you know, write to what you have, um, you know, write what you know. And I know we've got plenty of classroom spaces, and <laughs> so so we're just lean into that. First off, uh, uh, kudos to you for pulling this off anyways. It comes off far more seasoned than a student film. Thank you. So uh, very nicely done. Take me through um, a little bit about how you developed the story that you wanted to tell. It's amazing that you go, okay, I know I have this limitation and this limitation and this limitation. So here's where I'm going to get take on the documentary format. But take us through how you decided to use that to evolve a time travel movie. Okay. Uh the one thing I was thinking about, because uh, some people have like have some people who don't get it will be like, this doesn't make any sense. Where do you get all these different 
clips together to put this documentary doesn't make sense. And the way I can explain it best is that photograph from Back to the Future of Marty and his two siblings. Okay, so we're going through the story. That photograph is a physical object. It exists, but the contents of the photo begins to change as they were messing with time. And so I thought, well, what if that photograph was a videotape or a DVD? It still, it still exists as a film or a movie or a documentary, but the content of it keeps changing it as we start going, going through time. Uh, so that's how I kind of wrap my head around it, is, is doing, doing that. And so uh, I just really like the idea of you're watching a documentary where the facts keep changing, but the people in the documentary are not aware of it. Uh, as an audience, we're kind of in a bubble. So we're sitting outside and we're looking in to this documentary. So the the time changes are not affecting the viewer, but they're affecting everything else. And so in terms of writing the script, uh, I came up with the concept uh, very quickly. I was just I was working at Walgreens at the time in the photo lab and had a little bit of downtime. And so I had a little notebook and I was just sketching out ideas for films. And I thought, I really would love to do something that was time travel or science fiction. And finally, it dawned on me how I could do it. But what if I did it as a documentary? And so I came up with the title. I came up with a lot of the concepts, a lot of the core concepts within about 20 minutes and just quickly sketched it down. And then I started developing a script. The first version of the script was just wall-to-wall dialogue. I didn't worry about, you know, what am I cutting to? I just, here's a person. They're talking. They're telling the story. So I wrote that out. Now it's about 20 or 30 pages. And while I was doing that, I would go about every week or two to my friends, uh, Daniel and Dudley May, who are actually in the film. Uh, and I would bounce ideas off of them. They'd read the script. They'd give, them, give me some feedback. And so we developed it for about six months. Uh, and then I started grad school that spring and had my script or had a script that script ready to go and my professor didn't get it he didn't understand it at all (laughs) he's like what is this it makes no sense several of the students in the class did not get it i was like okay that's fine because i this is something i might want to make when it comes time for me to do my thesis film so i've got at least two or three years to develop it so don't worry about that so what I did that semester is we did a proof of concept. We did a little five-minute short version of it. Where we just got a couple of talking heads. We interviewed them. Uh, I did a, one little bit where the you know the the professor makes a time machine. He goes back in time a minute and he sees himself. That was just a little five-minute version of the film. We showed that to my professor. He's like, ah, I get it now. <laughs> so I went and did my other films, my other projects, and then I came back that I'm going to do this as my thesis film. This is going to be the easiest, easiest thing to do. (laughs) Even though it is a film that covers 60 or 70 years and goes from, you know, the 1920s all the way to modern era, in terms of the filmmaking process, it's going to be relatively easy because we're not moving the camera all that much. It's basically just talking head interviews, and then we cut to a photo. We cut to a piece of found footage. We cut to some old film clips, that sort of thing. Um, so then I just took the script and I kept developing and kept rewriting it. And then I had to actually put in, what are we seeing? This person's talking, they're describing it. And so now I had to basically put in all these insert shots where we see a photograph of young Edward. We see a photograph of the moon landing and so on and so forth. Um, and so like the script ended up being kind of crazy because it was it ended up being like the number of shots was just insane because I went ahead and labeled everything as an individual shot. So we'd come back from the interview and it's like, all right, when we were actually filming, it's like, okay, roll scene. This is scene 21, A, C, D, G, F, E, K. You know, it was just, it was kind of crazy how we shot it, but I I kept it all in my head. So we we made it, we made it work. Uh, And then, and then got into the, the post of it, which was its own other can of worms. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I hadn't thought about that when you talked about your showing the script to your professor. I could see where actually in script form, this would make absolutely no sense whatsoever. 
this really yeah. is a visual story that yeah. you, you need to see those little bits and those changes to really understand. Cause mm-hmm. you were just reading it. You're like, wait a minute. Did I miss a page? Did I, did something fall out? Did exactly. something stick together? Yeah. And I, I could see that, uh, how it would not make, make sense. Um, and that was also one of the things too, is trying to eliminate as many plot holes as we could, which is why I was always, uh, using Daniel and Dudley as sounding boards, which was like, okay, does this make sense? You know, it's like, well, you know, in Back to the Future, this happened. That doesn't make sense. So we got to avoid that. Or this happened in on, on Lost. So we need to avoid that. <laughs> so it was always trying to make sure to avoid as many plot holes as reasonably possible. But at the end of the day, it is a time travel film. So in its very nature, it is a paradox. It is illogical. So at a certain point, you just have to suspend disbelief. And hopefully you've done it enough where the audience is not thinking about it until after the movie's over. <laughs> like there, I mean, like there's a plot hole that completely destroys back to the future, the timeline, but you don't think about it while you're watching the, the, the trilogy. So it's only afterwards when you're talking about it and it's like, Oh yeah, that doesn't quite make sense. <laughs> but that's also part of the fun. The fun of it is, is, you know, is finding those little details. And I'm sure there's plenty in my film that people can nitpick. I read your interview with, I think it was the Austin film festival. And you, I remember you uh, saying something very similar, and that you were actually looking forward to hearing people pick it up, you know, mm-hmm. pick out the things, yeah. and see see what you missed, and see if it's anything that you were, you knew, or if it's something. You, oh, I didn't think of that. Good catch. There, there is one that I didn't think about. Although technically, I think the film is ambiguous enough that it could cover it, which is someone in the film. I make a point of uh, you can't put the time machine on, and if you're in New Jersey, you can't go to ancient Egypt. You would need to travel there first. And someone pointed out, well, actually, the rotation of the Earth and moving mm. through space, you know, you're actually being a totally different spot. But, yeah, that's true. But in my mind, it's like, well, he, he figured that out. The professor figured that out when he made the time machine. It's not worth mentioning. My answer to that is always gravity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but there's also what I like to call film logic, which is, you know, there's some things that don't make sense in real life. But they totally make sense in a movie because it's a movie and it has to work a certain way. Exactly. Um, so it's just, I just, it's just film logic. I got one. I got one. <laughs> I've been dying to ask you about this because as we were going through the film, too, um, it, it occurred to me. I, I have to ask, when Richard Naden decided they were going to give their father the, the the time machine so that he could then present it to the government and then be better with his his wife and his kids. Where did Richard Naden go after they gave him the equipment? I don't know. <laughs> I got him! <laughs> I, I assumed, the way I think about it is that, um, and it's kind of presented both ways in the film. Early on, I present both different ways of time travel theories. Yeah. I assumed that they took a time machine and went back to their present and Richard hadn't done anything with the time machine yet. And only once he starts manipulating with time does, I guess you could call it like time ripples start rippling out and messing with the timeline. But yeah, it it could be, uh, it could be a little bit ambiguous. What actually happened, happened to them. It it could very possibly that they had were stuck in that timeline now, and they just had to go into hiding. So uh, I'll leave that to the audience. That's the fun of any time travel movie anyways. But but since you were looking for them, uh, that was the one that kind of hit me. I'm like, hey, wait, what (laughs) what happened to them? Where did they go? And also, it's been so long. I I actually rewatched the film this afternoon. It's been so long since I've actually watched it and actually have thought about it. Uh, And so I might have had an answer for it. 10 years ago, but I completely <laughs> forgot what that answer is now. Uh, you know, time has been messing with me for the, since I made the film. Um, but, you know, that's just, that's just the fun of, of those types of films is, is finding all the little details and trying to figure out, ah, this plot hole that breaks it, but it's fun. And, and that's what was a lot of fun about your film is uh, I'm having some fun at that, but I mean, honestly, you put it together a fairly well buttoned up um, time travel film and 
the thing uh, I geek out on this stuff because I actually did a little work uh, once upon a time in a previous schooling time going through things like quantum mechanics and all that. And to have you actually put the theories of how time travel might work right up at the beginning and essentially stating what's about to happen. I mean, you're, you're laying out, I'm giving you the mechanics of what's going to happen next. And then you watch it happen after that. And you don't realize, Hey, he told us exactly what was going to happen. That was very cool. <laughs> and, and also I'm also, the film's a little odd in that it's a narrative film in the sense that it's telling a narrative story about this family and them inventing a time machine but because it's done in a documentary format, it needs to follow those documentary cliches and those documentary tropes as well. If you're watching a, you know, a science documentary about a volcano, they explain how does a volcano work and sure. it goes through all the steps. So my thinking was, well, if, there, if a doc was existing about time travel and time travel was real, they would need to explain up front, here's how time travel works, here are some of the theories about it, and then you can go on into the story of, how it was invented. And so you're trying to always completely balance those two things of a doc and a narrative at the same time. Um, uh, and, and to come full circle, where essentially the the film ends with a completely different title, mm -hmm. um, and, and you literally just said the theory of it, um, yeah. then it makes even more sense, all the stuff that you put up at the front of the, the film. Yeah. So. It, yeah. it was really neatly done. I liked it. Yeah, because the, the way I look at it is that it's still a documentary exists in all these, I guess you could say like a multiverse, where in every multiverse, someone made a documentary about time travel that happened in their universe. But we as the audience, we're in this little bubble, and we're getting to see through all the different versions of it and all across the different multiverses. Probably out of all the films, we watched 23 other films that all – revolved around time travel and i think yours probably made the most sense out of all of them when it came down to the actual mechanics of time travel <laughs> and it's, it's funny because i never explained because that's one of the things we talked about when i was writing the script is well how do you explain how it works and it's like well i don't explain how it works because like, what does what does a flux capacitor do no one knows <laughs> right. nobody knows what a flux capacitor does it just works because that's what doc brown said said that it works so you know, you just you don't have to explain how it works. You just explain what it does once it is working and how can it affect, you know, no one cares how a, a proton pack works or a lightsaber works. It just it just works. Yeah. And then you, you just, just throw on a techno babble at it enough exactly. to get, make it sound legit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and also, like one of the examples, uh, you know, uh, you know, you take a lie and you wrap it in a, in a, in a little bit of truth to help mm -hmm. sell the whole thing. Uh, my professor was always talking about when we're making films that we're selling a pack of lies. And so I thought, well, I'm going to sell a whole carton of them. Um, <laughs> so um, I took like the, the first bit of the film where it talks about uh, Albert Einstein sending a letter to Roosevelt. Mm -hmm. That first letter was true. That is actually a thing that did happen. That was a part of history. It's the second letter, which is complete BS. And then I go off into my own little storyline. So, you know, you just take your, your, your fun fictional story and wrap it in just enough of a truth that you can sell the whole thing. Right. It's not so much that you need to um, explain how things work. It's just the people in the film have to believe it. You don't, you, you don't, exactly. need, to, you don't need to convince the audience. You just have yeah. to convince your, the people in the film. Now, here, here's the critical question. After this is all said and done, you've put this together. How did it go over at school? Well, um, after we finished uh, filming it, I had uh, a rough cut put together, oh, about three or four weeks after we were done shooting. Uh, but it was all just the interviews, talking sure. heads. So I had to spend the next six months, six to eight months, putting in all the photographs, which we did shoot on set. But I had to go on green screen. Then I had to go and put in all the backgrounds and all that stuff. So there was a version of the film that's very close to what the audience saw. It was just full of holes. There was no photos. There were no grass. So every couple of weeks, I would present a new version of it to my professor and stuff. And it's like, okay, we can kind of see how it's working. But until you get all the photos in there, you're not really 100% sure. So I did do some test screenings where I invited some people that really didn't know anything about the film 
and had like a little questionnaire, like what makes sense? Does this does not make sense? What did you like? What you didn't like? And we cut a few things, cut a few minutes out of the film. Um, and I was basically doing all the posts myself, uh, all the visual effects, all the photographs. And I had a graduate assistantship at the time where I was basically uh, sit at the front desk of the film building and answer the phone and made prints and copies and stuff for the professor. So I had plenty of time to work on posts for the film while I was sitting there. Um, so got the film done. And my professor seemed to like it. But again, I don't know if he completely understood or, <laughs> or, or, or if he maybe he didn't think that people were going to understand it. Uh, and so we had a screening uh, at a uh, the Cole Art Center, which is uh, in Nacogdoches in downtown, which is the university owns and it's where they have a uh, an art gallery and they do museum pieces and sculptures and they have exhibits that come through. And we generally will do our screenings for our summer feature there. Uh, so we did the, the the showing, and of course, me and I'm sure this is a lot of filmmakers like this. Is the film was playing. My two thoughts were one, I want to die because <laughs> you know you're basically exposing yourself to all these people, you know. Uh, and also, it's like please play from start to finish with no glitches. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess the third thing was like I hope people get it. And as I was making the film, I, 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 I thought that uh, it was a little bit on the humorous side. I, ne I didn't intend to make it a flat-out comedy. I never went to the attention. This is a satirical piece of parody, not necessarily a mockumentary. It's like, I'm going to do a fictitious documentary, a pseudo-documentary. But as I was finally putting it together, I was like, you know what? This is a little bit cleverer and funnier than I thought it, ended I thought it would be. And the audience really picked up on some of the humorous aspects of it, a little bit more so than I thought. And they were laughing and ooing and pointing at the screen at all the various points. And it went over very well. And the first thing that happened once the lights come on, my professor came up to me. He's like, they got it. They got it. <laughs> <laughs> so I was, I was relieved. Yeah, but how did he feel that the fact that everybody else in the room got it, but he didn't? Well, I, I, honestly, I think at that point he didn't care. Yeah. It's, it's, as long as long as the film finds an audience or it, or it works with the audience, he's like, okay. He, he, at that point, he's like, fine, best film we've ever done. You know, that's great. You know, it's just like, and so that was, I think, May 1st when we did the screening for it on campus. And then I started sending it out to various film festivals uh hoping we would get into some and we got into the uh or basically got invited to a uh the florida supercon they had a super geek film festival in miami and my professor basically had a standing arrangement with the students that if you ever got a film into a film festival we will try to find the money to get you to that film festival and at that point i don't think anyone had ever actually managed to get one in <laughs> And I got that one in, which was really cool. And then we got into the Roswell Film Festival, Sci-Fi Film Festival, which was a lot of fun. We drove out to New Mexico and did a road trip for that. Uh, but then I finally got the call that it got into the Austin Film Festival, which is a much, much bigger deal. Yes. Uh, which I was very, very surprised. I was like, oh, wow. Because that was like the big one I really wanted to get into. Uh, and so that was a whole other experience of, of getting to do a, a film festival like that. Um, and part of the program at SFA is when once you do your film, you still have to do a defense in front of all the art faculty. You basically have to get up and do a presentation saying, here's my piece of art. Here's why I think it would be accepted by the art community. Here are some of the techniques I was doing. You basically have to do a whole presentation. Well, my defense was not scheduled until after the Austin Film Festival. <laughs> And, and I had already had a discussion with the dean or the uh, of the of the school of art, basically saying, uh, "Yeah, your defense is basically an afterthought because <laughs> your film is already being accepted by the art community." <laughs> he said, "We cannot fail you because you've already proven that your your film works." And as a matter of fact, when I actually went to do my defense, one of the other professors leaned over and said, you could go up there and vomit on the stage and we still have to pass. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Which that begs the question. So what did you do to, for your defense? Anything? Did you just go, mic drop, bitches? <laughs> no, I, I did do a defense where I talked about the different techniques and stuff I used in the film uh, and, you know, showed them some of the, you know, going to the film festivals and stuff like that, which was, which was, all, which was all fine. Um, so it, it was basically like a little TED Talk, essentially. Like, here's my <laughs> film, here's what it did, and, you know, I uh, hope you enjoyed it. So... But, you know, that took a lot of pressure off to, to have to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it has to be so rewarding for you to, to put that kind of work into it, knowing that, I mean, this is for your school, this is for your grade, this is for passing. Mm-hmm. And then to have a film that ends up being, like, as embraced by the art community, by the film community, uh, science fiction fans, you, you accepted into festivals, and I mean, now it's streaming on, on, on streaming platforms and everything. It's on Amazon Prime got to be a little surreal for you. Yeah, it is real nice. Uh, uh, like when you're just scrolling through prime and your own movie pops up, that's weird. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I've heard a lot of people have said, Oh, I was just watching Amazon prime and looking for a movie and your film popped up. And I was like, Oh, that's great. Did you watch it? Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm just funny. imagining you sitting there and Amazon prime doing that. You might like this. Well, yeah, <laughs> I, I might. Yeah. But it it is such a fun film, and I've read a couple of reviews after I watched it. I I don't try to read any reviews until after I've actually watched the film myself. And I went to on to like IMDb, and I was reading some of the reviews. And I I, I told this to Tom. I don't like to be one of these people that when I read a, a poor review, I don't like to be one of those people that say, "Oh, well, they just didn't get it." But I'm reading a lot of these reviews. It, yeah, they didn't get it. No. <laughs> And and I could and there's a couple of different ways. Like I could understand someone being like this. I they just can't imagine because so much of it's happening off screen. I think it's a valid response. Like I see it, I just don't get it. Uh, another one, which is people will just like ah, it's a college film. It's just like I it's like eh, it doesn't have a high production budget. There's no actors I know in it, and it's like eh, I'm not gonna watch it or I didn't like it. And but the thing I'm very surprised of because that was one of the things I was worried about is that it is a low-budget film. It is a student film. Is that some people will look at the aesthetics of it, and it's like, yeah, if they didn't have a high production budget, ah, this is garbage. I was very surprised how many people have overlooked that. Like, you know what? They didn't have a high budget, but I like the story, or I like the screenplay, you know? So I was very relieved that the story came through, because it's basically, when you're doing a student film, you have your idea, which is way up here, and then you throw it through the grinder of going through a film school production and you just hope the story survives and comes out the other end. And I, I think hopefully that mine did. Well, I watched the film. I, I Like I said, I, I talked to you before we started on, uh, started uh, recording that we were just looking for time travel films for the year. And I saw this one in history time travel. Oh, that'd be the perfect one to end the year on. Just reading a little bit of a synopsis on it. Didn't really look into it at all beyond that. And it wasn't until after I watched the film that I actually discovered that it was a, a college project, you know, a film school project. I wouldn't have, I don't think I would have uh, pegged that had I not read it. I mean, if someone had told me that I, I would have been just as surprised. Well, the thing that, that, that also, I kind of leaned into that because there's so many, uh, documentaries that wind up on like discovery channel, you know, late at night, like, searching Bigfoot and UFOs and stuff that that really shouldn't be on like History Channel and stuff like that. Right. So, and some of those are really low budget and they're not very well produced, but you know they get distribution. So my feeling was, well, we're going to aim high, but if we can't reach that mark, well, we'll look just as good as some of the other productions that are out there actually streaming or on Discovery Channel or History Channel. So we were kind of having it both ways a little bit. Well, I've always taken the stance when people want to pick on budget. I mean, there are plenty of films that have bottomless budgets and they're total garbage. Yeah. So it's not about the amount of money you have. It it, it has everything to do with story, uh, structure, commitment. Um, even even though you ran it as a documentary style, the it was clear that the folks that you had. Do, play the interviewees were committed to being 
that expert in that field in this moment in that film. All of it was very believable. It didn't take a lot of money to pull that off. And, and you did such a nice job. And anytime anyone wants to uh, uh, really hit on that whole independent filmmaker or or student film or any of that, you got out there and you made a film. Thank you. Yeah, not well, everybody I, gets to do that, and the people, a lot of the people who do the critiques, are are the people that didn't go out and go make a film. <laughs> so, well, I, I couldn't have done it without the the film program. Sure, because again, at the end of the at the end of the day, you can have the best script in the world, but if you don't have a crew to actually go out and make it, it's just words on a page, and they can this sit in a shelf somewhere. So having the professors and the teachers and instructors and the film class and the film crew there to help me actually get it made is what really is the most important thing out of this. And I learned a lot, and it was hopefully a good experience for the students that, that worked on it because it's one of those things that the film program, some years we will make a film that uh, the production of it, everyone had a good time. And we all learned a lot, but the film at the end of the day is not very good. And so the film is actually kind of a byproduct. It's basically the most important thing our film program teaches is how to be a professional on a film set. This is how we are learning how to make movies. And if the movie comes out good, well, that's just kind of a, a bonus. So those two things are always butting heads against each other, which is, well, we've made a mistake where we're making the film or we're in the middle of production. Let's stop. This is a teaching moment. Let's learn from this. Here's how we do it correctly. And if you're the director of it, you may be like, ah, I don't have time for this. We got to get my shots. We got to we got to get going. So those two things are always butting heads against each other. So it's it's sort of a a, a, a weird, interesting mix of you have film students who are learning how to make movies, and you have a filmmaker who's also generally a student themselves trying to get their film made. <laughs> So it's a very interesting environment to to have a film produced in, and thankfully the the film program continues and they keep making films every every year. So hopefully it will continue on on into the future. Well, and if this is the kind of stuff that they're turning out, you know, the the filmmakers and the you know, definitely um, encourage them to be creative in their films. I mm -hmm. mean that. Uh, that makes you really want to look for more films from people coming out of schools like that. Yeah, and it's, it's very interesting is that this was something that could only have happened because of digital cameras. Um, back, the program started, I guess, at this point 40 years ago, and they didn't film all that much because celluloid was hard and very expensive to, to use. So they would film uh, commercials, like little TV spots for local restaurants in town. And it was only once digital cameras started to become affordable that they were able to actually start going out and shooting feature films. Uh, so like if I had gone to school five years earlier, my film might've been on VHS, but, <laughs> but <laughs> thankfully because I started later, I was able to get it in high definition, which is, which is nice. Yeah. Honestly, the VHS would have worked for it pretty well though. It, it would, it would have, <laughs> it would have, because I was thinking about, um, oh, the guy that did Boogie Nights, uh, he did a short for film version of that in film school and he just shot it on the VHS because that's what they could afford. And so it's basically just use what you have. Mm -hmm. And those were the cameras we had, so uh, I just leaned into it. Well, uh, Tom, do you have anything else you wanted to ask about history of time travel? No, I, I, I just have to thank you for coming on and talking to us. Uh, it was such a fun film. It was a, it was a kind of a a hidden gem in our whole year of the time traveler. And it was such a nice little wrap up to uh, what we were doing, what we were talking about. And even an episode that we chose to dovetail on at the end, it, your piece and that paralleled each other so nicely. It was just too much fun. Well, thank you. Before I, I let you go, I wanted to, uh, mention another film that you have currently uh, streaming on Prime, which is called A Year From Now, which I think came out in 2021. Yes, that was uh, that actually came out of while I was developing ideas for History of Time Travel, I came up with other time travel scenarios. And so I just basically wrote down a little synopsis and just put it on a shelf. 
Well, I had mentioned that some years, the film program, there isn't a grad student ready to do their thesis project yet. And that happened in the summer of 2019. There was not a grad student ready to do a project yet. So the Christmas before, the fall before, my professor invited me to come back to the film program as an alumni and write and direct a summer feature so that the students had a project to work on. Oh, so okay. I was like, this is this is fantastic because I get to do a second film uh, and get to work with the film students again, which was a lot of fun. And so I thought, well, let me go down my list of ideas. And I thought, well, I've got this one. I, I never intended to do another type of time travel film as my second film. But I was like, I really like this idea. And because it's a Christmas, it would be set at Christmas, art direction. Everybody's got Christmas decorations. We can throw up some Christmas lights in the background and blow it out so it's just all nice, colorful bokeh, and we don't have to art direct that corner. So, again, <laughs> I'm always thinking, how can I do something for a lower budget? And, again, I went to the Lamplight Theater actors and got a lot of the actors from there to help out. Uh, and it was a little bit more of a difficult shoot because it was a narrative film where we had to have actors commit for that three yeah. or four weeks. Uh, but we got it done. And then COVID happened. <laughs> and so uh, I basically spent, uh, it was supposed to be only about a year in post, and I ended up spending two years in post because of COVID. Uh, and since there was tied to a Christmas release date where I was going to try to have it done for the following fall, that would have been the fall of 2020. It's like, well, we're not, we're not meeting that release window because we can't go anywhere. So I thought, well, I'll just have to push it back to the next Christmas. So uh, I said, I've got plenty of time to really polish the film and work on it. And so I brought in a co-editor, Trey Cartwright, who is actually in the history of time travel as the uh, Edward Jarber or the professor at the Museum of Time and Space. He was my <laughs> co-editor on that. And we had to do color correction and visual effects. We basically had to do everything ourselves. And counting up the dates, I think we ended up losing because of COVID and other various factors, I think we lost about 11 months when no work was able to get done during post on the film, uh, which is unfortunate, but it, it is what it is. We were able to get the film done. Thankfully it could have been worse. My film could have been canceled <laughs> completely. Yeah. Oh, so I'd rather the footage was in the can and I could at least sit in an office by myself and work on it. And so eventually we got that, get that film done and I just put it straight onto Amazon and didn't worry about doing a film festival run because it couldn't go to the film festivals because of, of COVID. So yeah, it wasn't film festivals, right? Exactly. So, uh, so, you know, COVID kind of hurt that film, uh, in terms of getting, you know, the, uh, uh, publicity and stuff out for it, but it's on Amazon so people can find it, you know, and hopefully every Christmas people will find that film. Sure. Uh, and thankfully, people are finding history of time travel. So that's the, that's the nice thing. It's once the films are done, they're, they're hopefully will always be there for people to find. Release um, them into the wild, and yes, <laughs> exactly. And they're always going to find an audience. And thankfully, you've already done the work. Uh, and so, you know, people are always coming up, just like you guys have have found the film and reached out to me, which is which is great. Because um, uh, word of mouth is the biggest publicity I have for the film. So you're finding it and telling your, your listeners is a, is a great boon for the film. Oh, no, it's so happy to, to find it. And um, I just I enjoyed it so much. And it, it really was a highlight after a year of watching films, some of which were, you know, like childhood favorites and that sort of thing. And to still come at the end of the year and watch this and go, this is like one of the best things we've watched all year. <laughs> it was such a nice Thank surprise. You. Thank you. And one of the things, too, is I, I, I knew – I had this idea. It's like, I need to make this because in film school, I thought, well, you know, I may not able to have a successful career. So this may be the only film I ever get to do. I have to make this one before someone else does. Because <laughs> someone else may come up with this idea. So I got to make this film now, even if I don't have a budget, I'm making this film so I can be, I got here first. Here it is. <laughs> Well, I hope that is not the case. I hope you get a chance to do a lot more. Uh, History of Time Travel is, I think, just absolutely fantastic. A Year From Now, I think, is also just another really clever take on the time travel uh, idea. And 
uh, hopefully you've got other ideas and other opportunities in your future because I'm I'm looking forward to, to seeing what you come up with from now on. Yeah, uh, I've definitely have got. Uh, I'm, I've just finished a script just the other day for a short film, so hopefully we get to make that. My friends and I will get together and, and make that hopefully within the next year or so. Uh, but you know, hopefully, you know, I'll get to make some more feature films. I, I do want to do other things other than just time travel movies. <laughs> so I've got, I've got plenty of other, other ideas, but then again, someone's like, Hey, that's your brand, man. Just lean into it. <laughs> just, just make time travel movies. It's like, ah, so <laughs> if you need folks to screen them, we're here for you. Right. Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Independent film is just something I've, I've just, become such a fan of because there's just so much love effort and you know blood sweat and tears that go into these films and like tom was saying before you know you can go to hollywood and oh we'll give you 80 million dollars and you come out with Mm -hmm. crap you know so it's like okay it's not about the money it's about the heart it's about the uh you know the effort and and a decent script and and a good Mm -hmm. story and you find those so often in independent films I don't want to say more often, but in in my experience, it t- tends to be feel that way, and uh, and short films and nothing definitely nothing uh, wrong with short films, other than the fact that I think they're probably a little harder to get them out to the masses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, you can always if, if all you care about is getting your film out in front of an audience, you've got YouTube, you've got streaming services, so you can get it eyeballs on it, right? Um, because again, you know, short films are generally not made to make money, so mm-hmm. uh, so they're just there to because you have a story you want to tell, or you just want people to see what you can do. So, yeah. well, Ricky, I really appreciate you coming on and talking with us. I, I know that you know you did this film ages ago now, and in, in, in your life, in your timeline, yeah. it's been forever ago. For us, yeah, it was just I've, the other day, and it was so great to talk to you and for, for you to come on and talk about it and not be tired of talking about it. Is, we really appreciate it. It's fun because I hadn't really thought about the film in a long time because I don't know if, any, if you've ever interviewed any other filmmakers, if they have felt this way. You, you come up with an idea, you write the script, you make the film, and you're talking about years of your life. And particularly in the last film I did, as soon as the film was done, it's like, I never have to think about this film ever again. <laughs> it's done. It's finished. It's out there. So I hadn't watched time travel in, I don't know, probably three or four years. So it was fun to just sit down. It's like, oh yeah, I remember that bit or the day we filmed that. I was like, oh, I forgot about that. So uh, it was fun to revisit it. Well, good. I'm glad it was an enjoyable experience for you. <laughs> Rewatching yes. it you know, since, since we kind of instigated it. <laughs> Uh, but again, thank you very much for coming on and talking with us. I really appreciate it. I'll, I'll let you get uh, the rest of your evening to yourself. And uh, yeah, we will look for your name in the future. And yeah, anything you ever want to fire our way, if you want us to kind of give it a look and come on the show again and talk about, we'd be happy to have you. Okay, great. Thank you. I appreciate it. No problem. Thanks very much. Thank, thank you, you so much. You.